as Susan comes up, I'm supposed to center this for those at home. And I want to um, give you a little bit before she reads about, um, about how kind our Lord is in giving us this word for today. Because what we're going to talk about for the next nine weeks is Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And, uh, and this is the grounding stuff, the reality stuff of life. Um, and whether you know it or not, you find something or someone or somewhere to ground your life. We all do it. There's no way not to do it. And some of us um, turn to status and success. Some turn to uh, body and image. Some turn to safety and stability. Some turn to wealth and abundance, comfort and pleasure, or family, home, and legacy. None of those things are bad things, but they can't handle the weight of the grounding of life. And so here are the words that come um, to us from the very beginning of the Bible. going to read Genesis 1, 1 through 27. It says something else in your bulletin, but we've abridged it a little. Can you hear me okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. 
and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can tell I'm a bit rusty. Um, I um, am 100% 100 responsible for the spelling errors and grammatical diction issues that are in the bulletin. Sorry, Caitlin. I came across a prayer this week. Um, I'd like to pray it with you. Uh, it's, a prayer from, it's a prayer from Haiti. Our great doctor, your word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings. But only then does it kill the germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our heart mouths are gaping wide waiting for you to fill us. Father, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. Wrap us in the blanket of your word and warm us up. Lord, we find your word like a cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart. And as we get closer to the heart, it is sweeter. God's people can say, amen. I'm really delighted to be back with you and in Genesis, these first chapters, because it is, as I was saying before, the ground of our faith together. Um, And also, it seems to me that at times, uh, we tend to, as moderns, um, start at a a kind of wrong emotional or theological or spiritual place when we come to this text. Um, And I I do the same thing. We try to make it... um, either a scientific textbook, even though it does do science, there's science in it, or we make it a philosophical treatise, or we make it a worldview battering ram, instead of attending to it as it is. It touches on all those things, the eternal word of God, of course, but I think in discerning God's word, 
and his desire for this text. We are just too often self-absorbed with our own questions. And so we need to get into a, um, a time machine. And, but where will we go? We know the original writer is Moses, both tradition and, and uh, archaeology and uh, many other things seem to point clearly in that direction. But who's the original audience? Where would we get in our time machine and go? It wasn't the void that is described here. It wasn't Adam and Eve. It was the people of Israel that had just been emancipated after 400 years of slavery, probably right after Moses comes down from Sinai with the law of God. And that's where we start. So get in that time machine and you're exhausted from a long and seemingly longer journey ahead from the desert. The grumbling has already begun. The threat of attack within the greater Mesopotamia is big deal. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Mosquito Bites <laughs> are all crouching in, been waiting that for that for so long. <laughs> so satisfying. <sighs> You've spent 400 years under the ardor, or arduous um, uh, uh, reign of the pharaohs in the last few years, even more difficult. And your people are, well, Moses has gone up to the mountain to talk with God, as he does on occasion, so he's not been around for a little while. And your people are becoming impatient, and you are one of those people. You're started distrusting your own experiences. Do we have some type of groupthink uh, hallucination about, uh, about the miracle that God did to bring us out of Egypt, or the many miracles he did, and um, bringing us to freedom? And desperate for meaning, uh, uh, and amid your doubt, your friends and you decide that, you know, the deities of Mesopotamia and Egypt and Greece, they're not that bad. Maybe we could do something to get their attention. So you, you take a little bit of all that and you join with these newly freed people of God and you get some gold and melt it into a calf. And you start to worship it. Maybe this began to bring ease to your fears, but then Moses comes down the mountain. And he ain't happy. And now you've been thoroughly reprimanded. Blessed out up one side and down the other. And then Moses comes and you're sitting around the desert campfire trying to orient yourself to this nomadic world. And you hear these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the first passage of the Bible. And it was chosen so that we would, in fact, know who he is. In this passage, he is showing us who he is. And the first thing he says is that I am before and above all things. It is the first subject of the first sentence in the first story of the Bible. And the subject of that sentence is God. God. He is before all things, the very initiator of life itself. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth was, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Little Trinitarian hint right there. You get it again, and let us make God in our own image, just so you know. This is where God begins his message to the broken, battered, and belligerent people of God. In the beginning, those who were wayward, liberated slaves who've been rebellious. God speaks to them 
an orienting kind of identity, orienting kind of reality in the midst of that Mesopotamian Canaanite wilderness. And so he precedes all things. And this is not just a historical statement. It's, it's, it's like cosmological and philosophical and theological that he is before all things and above all things. It is about the essence of reality and the ordering of our very lives, not just our lives, but life itself. God is the first actor on the stage, and he starts with a monologue. And then, by the word of his power, he alone creates the set, the stage, and the other actors. That's where we start, before and above all things. And this is a little tough for us, because in a world that says, you tell you who you are. Your own desires are the most important. Your own self-identity, your hopes, your own longings are before and above all things. The story of God simply says, no. The story of God says, you are not first in primary. I am. Now, you read the rest of the story, and oh my goodness, there's so much good that involves you. He loves for us to, be, um, to bear his image, to, to be fulfilled. In fact, the Bible offers us the fullest and most infinite call to our truest selves. But I can only get there if it ain't about me. You can only get there if it ain't about you, and we can only get there if it ain't about us as the first and foremost, as above and before. Now, the way the thing is structured, again, just so that we might um, realize that it's not just that his presence before and above, but that he actually made everything. The way it's structured, and I know it was a little bit of a long reading. Amanda came over and whispered, are you just going to read the whole Genesis 1 through 50, or what? what's going to happen here? Um, I said, you can, you can handle it. You know, Let the words just pour over you. Um, and also, the reason Susan read it, so it wouldn't count against my time. A whole preacher trick right there. Um, <laughs> but here's how he does it. Day one, two, and three, he actually forms uh, the realities that exist. In day one, it's the light. In day two, it's the sea and the sky. In day three, it's the land and the vegetation, the land and the plants. In day four, he goes back to day one, and he fills the sky. He fills the light. Or no, he creates makes that light into sun, moon, and stars. So whatever that pre-light is, we don't exactly know. But what he does is he uh, manifests the light in sun, moon, and stars. In day five, he does the fish and the birds for the sea. And in day six, he fills what he had formed with animals and then human beings. And so there's this kind of order and beauty to it all, too. And here's the deal. When you create, when you're the maker, you also get to create the meaning. You get to be in charge of that. And he does the meaning of all of reality. And this is, again, good and bad news. It's bad news because it dis disrupts our self-orientation. That's uh, it's bad news because unless you're the anchor man, then you're really not that big of a deal. That one didn't go as well. <laughs> anchor man was kind of a big deal, you know. Whew. You hadn't been used to me in a while, and I hadn't been used to it in a while. I should have vetted that joke. Um, but it's also good news um, because you know what it's like 
to order your world around yourself and your own concerns, and how myopic and puny and unsatisfying and ultimately hellish it is. The things that are made can't hold that weight. Back in the time machine, let's go back into our, about 3,500 years ago, and you're, you're this vagabond of nomads in the desert, the throng of people who are wandering for 40 years after 400 years of slavery. They would have, we see that they were tempted to step into the customs and to the, the ways of the Egyptian deities, and culture and religion were, and politics and everything else were so much more merged at that time. Even identity and citizenship was tied to gods. And that's all around them. The Canaanites of Mesopotamia, we have Babylon stories that intersect with this in some way. They're obviously tempted to order their lives around these gods to give them to value and eventually to even worship one. It was kind of the flow of the cultural norms of the day. You know, you go to the right religious practices and you might get a good job. You know, it's kind of what everybody's doing. But he says in this passage, he shows in this passage that he actually created the very things that the other cultures called gods. It's amazing. I went on a major rabbit trail this week, and I looked up sun, moon, sky, sea, plants, and animal gods in Mesopotamia, greater Canaanites, Egypt, which would have been a, a, a huge part of their culture because of 400 years, and Greeks, which still had a significant influence culturally in that area. And what he says, what God is saying in this, he says, you know Shama and Ra and Helios as the sun gods, but I made the sun. You know Yahrik and Konsu and Selena as moon gods, but I made the moon. You know Anu and Horus and Uranus from the sky gods, but I made the sky. You know Enki and Nun and Poseidon as the sea god, but I made the sea. You know Ishtar and Osiris and Cronus as the vegetation god, but I made the plants. You know Lula and Seshat and Artemis as the gods of the animals, but I made the animals. That's what he's really doing. Grounding them, not to be tempted by the, all the other things in the world that, that reach out to be gods, that would easily influence anyone to do those things. It did themselves. And you would have thought to yourself, I just saw him split a sea and take us out. I'm not going to start grumbling and worshiping a bovine bouillon. Y'all, Genesis 1 is an idol-crushing manifesto, an eternal spotlight to expose all the created idols for them and for us. It's an eternal scale to, to weigh the stuff of the universe and find that it is not a proper waste, way, it's not a proper place to handle all the value of the world. These are good things. They make horrible gods. This is what he's doing. And now we come back to our time machine. Status and success are moon gods, deities that require your achievement and flawlessness. And they only lead to lying and cheating because they're good. They're just bad gods. Wealth and abundance are sun gods, clearly shiny things. But it leads to stealing and discontentment always, because they're good, they're just bad gods. 
safety and stability are sky deities, right? The clear path ahead, but only provide anxiety and fear because they're good. They're just bad gods. Comfort and pleasure, seriously, the gods of the vegetation, right? Promising eternal satisfaction, you know, being able to take of the earth and, and pleasure. But they just lead or give you temporary titillation because they're good. They're bad gods. Image and body promise health and acceptance that lead to bulimia and laziness or self-contempt because those things are good. They're just bad gods. Even family and home and legacy, they promise lore and ease, but they only offer you hiding and spin because those things are good. They're just really, really bad gods. And so Marduk and Ishtar and Osiris and Ra, it's no different than you know mutual funds and restoration hardware and stuff like that. Good things that God made that cannot take the weight. So it is a confrontative passage. It confronts us. But it's a deeply comforting passage because it gets us to put the things in their right places. It's gracious and loving because he's coming alongside those wicked people who just rebelled against him and these wicked people who are right under this tent and on these grounds. And he's saying, you will not find rest in these things. You will only find rest in me. I made you. I made them. I know what's best for you. I know what's best for them. Give your worries and your efforts and your hopes to the one who made you and everything else in the world is what he's saying. Not because I need it, but because you need it. You need to be ordered in those ways. The weight of our worship cannot be shouldered by the stuff of earth. It can't. Created things break under that kind of weight. And when we're holding on to them, guess what? We come crashing down with them. So Yah, Yahweh, God the Father, has simply shown us who he is by telling us that he's before, above all things, and that he made all things. And shortly now, I want to talk a little bit about why. Because the next several weeks, we'll be talking a lot more about the why of his creation, not just the what of it. But I want to point two things out that we will return to. This is not an exhaustive, but I hope it's encouraging. God shows us why. And that is about delight. Delight in his creation and delight in him. Y'all, earth and sky was made for us. To enjoy and explore, to delight and to discover, to oversee and be overwhelmed by. It was made for us. What a gift. Now you nature people are like, heck yeah, I know this. I'm kind of indoorsy myself. What would it have been like with not much of an audience to watch until the animals got there, but God just delighting in creating everything that is, and the teeming and the whirling of the sea, and then the animals in it, dinosaurs and dolphins and lemmings and lightning bugs and hummingbirds and wild beasts and reptiles and rattlesnakes and polar bears and grizzly bears and black bears and koala bears and panda bears. <laughs> Couldn't think of any other bears. Biologists have cataloged 1.8 million species. That's delight. 95% of those species they think are been 95% of all species they think are already extinct. 
In one 2.5 acre area of Brazilian rainforest, there are 425 kinds of trees. In one small corner of Peru's Manu National Park, there are 1,300 types of butterflies. He's just showing off. <laughs> the male Alan Hummingsburg, when he finds a lady friend, he drops out of the sky at, 60, at 61 miles per hour, 385 body lengths per second. Now he's just showing out too. He's like, how you doing? Um, the space shuttle is 207 body lengths per second to get into space. It whoops its tail. And jellyfish, come on, kangaroos, really? Ant colonies, endoplasmic reticulum, eighth grade, still got it. Electrons, elephants, nebula, nuclei, amino acids, for the chemists back there. But this isn't just for us to delight in creation, but to then raise our gaze to the creator. We are to delight in it. It's part of what he wants us to do, but it's to raise our gaze to the creator. And so it's not just delight in it, but in him. No wonder the psalmist said in our passage today, heavens declare the glory of God, pouring forth speech. Think about that. The created world has a universal, cross-cultural, transnational, cosmological, multi-generational, utterly unmistakable, polylingual communication from God. Every sunset and sunrise, rainbow, storm cloud, ordinary day, mountaintop, valley, every nook and cranny of our mundane lives are instilled with giving glory to God. He delights in this beauty and he delights in us delighting in him because he's the creator of it. He just likes making beautiful things. He wants us to value what is most excellent and beautiful and weighty and important and powerful and lovely and just and merciful. He wants us to delight in that stuff first. It just so happens that he is that stuff. But here's the point of the call, because we aren't even at the fall yet, so I can't really talk about sin and death yet, but I'm going to, just a hair. Here's what you also need to know about this, that because of the delight he has in creation, the delight we have in his creation, and the delight we have in him, and because he still delights in us and those ragtag group of nomads who had just worshipped gold, he never gives up on this plan. He never gives up. He is so delighted with his creation, what includes us, he would never abandon even those Israelites who are worshiping a golden calf. And how does God respond to us when, when we, 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 we trade the life giver itself for success, success and safety and we, we, we trade wonder for wealth and temporary abundance? We trade our divine fulfillment in our place rightly with him with earthly pleasures and comfort. We, we trade our beloved identity as the rescued people of God for image and body. We trade belonging to God in his family, his church, with our own family's home and legacy. God has come to them, has come to us in his word, by his grace, in his perfect love, to say, I will not give up on this. And ultimately, we read a bit later, he would send his own son, so that we would recognize that he was the creator and redeemer of the world. 
and he would begin the revolution of recreation. And he would preach good news of the kingdom of God that was coming. He would suffer under the worst injustices that the universe could ever muster at him. And he would use that very thing to redeem the people who were trying to hurt him. To make right what is wrong. To one day stand over the new heavens and the new earth, the renewed heavens and renewed earth. As the new Adam, the new human. And he would say, behold, I've made all things new. All this orientation comes to our triune God, the Father and the Spirit who were clearly there, the Son who was there, we find out later, who came to redeem us, the triune God who is our creator and our redeemer. May we begin more fully to delight in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've created us and you have numbered the hairs on our heads and the length of our days. Father, through your son, you have redeemed us. And you are healing us. Spirit who indwells us. You are our comforter and our counselor. Help us. Help us see with different kinds of eyes so that we might delight in you and in your creation. We pray all this in your name. Amen.